Would you please turn with me to your study outlines uh, there in your program? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Also want to welcome our friends in Arco, Idaho at the Baptist Community Church and also Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word as well. Now, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Eric, who was just up here introducing uh, communion, he just did a tremendous job. I listened to it myself online, and, 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 and so many people have told me just an awesome job finishing up our series, Love Like That. And you know, Pastor Eric... He is just jetting all over the place. He is such in demand as a speaker. Uh, he, he just flew to Florida on Thursday, fl- flew back late last night to be here this morning, and then he's going to speak for a week at Hume Lake, which is like the top Christian conference in the world, and he's going to be speaking there for a week at, at Hume Lake. So very, very much in demand. And, and about once a year, Um, And these are just the ones I know about. Okay, these are just the ones I know about. I'm sure it's many more than that. But about once a year, one of the biggest churches in America, I mean, literally, uh, last week I had one one of the 100 biggest churches in America, uh, or one of the fastest growing churches in America. About once a year, one of the biggest churches in America, they call me up and they ask my permission to try to steal him from us. Kind of like checking to see if you can talk to an assistant coach or something like that in sports. And I'm not talking just student ministries positions. I'm talking lead pastor, senior pastor of one of the biggest churches in in America. And I always have the same response. I always say to them, absolutely, please talk to him. Because I personally believe that the police charges against him are completely bogus. I, I just, they're completely bogus. I, I myself don't believe that. And so you go ahead. And so he's still with us. Pastor Eric is, uh, is still with us. But, but the reason he's with us is because he loves Purpose Church. He believes in the impact of our ministry here. He believes how God is using this church. And so um, he's going to be with us until he dies. Right, Pastor Eric, is that you back there? Yeah, until you, until death do us part, uh, he is going to, you, you have to stay until you do my funeral. How, how's that? Yeah, I do my funeral. Now, today we're going to start a new series that I am just so excited about called The Journey. And it's based on the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. And so the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is considered one of the most important books in, in the Bible, consider, consider one of the most foundational books of all the 66 books of the Bible, and yet it's one that pastors and churches hardly ever talk about. And so here at Purpose Church, we're going to fix that this summer. We're going to fix that by spending the summer in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, interesting thing with the 4th of July coming up on us, I, I read just the other day that one-third of all the references and quotations of America's earliest political writers, that is the political writings of those that formed this nation, uh, the founding mothers and the founding fathers, one-third were from the Bible. One-third of what they wrote that they quoted from was from the Bible. And the book of the Bible that's quoted by the founding fathers and mothers more than any other book was in in the founding era of our nation was the book of Deuteronomy. Now here's what we're gonna do. Each day, we're going to read about 20 verses together as a church to work our way through Deuteronomy. And would everybody please turn with me to the second page of your study outline. At the bottom of it, it says digging deeper. Could you just look there, the second page, you're on the first page for the study outline. You turn to the next page, and there it says digging deeper. 
And so what we're going to do as a church is six days a week, on the seventh, on, on Sunday, Pastor Eric, uh, Pastor Eric or myself, we're going to preach uh, from, we'll cover about three chapters uh, a week is what we're going to cover. And so we will preach, either Pastor Eric or myself will preach something from that three-chapter uh, portion of Deuteronomy. But then the other six days, together as a church, we're going to read about 20 verses together as a church and do what's called the SOAP method. And so if you look there, it'll describe what the SOAP, SOAP method of Bible study is. And, and we're going to develop a habit in doing this. Uh, we're going to do this for 66 days, 11-week series, um, three chapters at a time, 34 chapters in Deuteronomy, 20 verses a day, six days of the week. And we're going to do this for 66 days, 11 weeks, six days a week, 66 days. And, and this is what's so awesome. I, I just was thinking about this. We, we just had planned this series all out, basically planned it out. And I thought to myself, I'm going to Google how many days does it take, uh, what does research shows, how many days it takes to form a new habit. And do you know that the first thing that popped up when I Googled it was, research has found that it takes an average of 66 days to create a habit. How cool is that? And so we're going to possibly create the most important habit of your life this summer. If you do this with us this summer, most likely for the remainder of your life, this habit of daily time uh, reading God's Word and asking questions of yourself about it and studying it, th this, this habit will change your life more than any other habit. And so I really encourage you, let's do this together uh, as a church, 20 verses a day, Monday through Saturday, and then on Sunday, either Pastor Eric and I will preach from that three chapters uh, that we cover as we go through the summer. Now today we're going to talk about how to journey into your promised land. How do you journey into your promised land? Deuteronomy 1 verse 1, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. So they're now east of the Jordan. The promised land is on the other side, the west of the Jordan. They're now stuck in the wilderness, and these are the words. This is a sermon that Moses is preaching to them. Deuteronomy is 34 chapters, but almost all of it, 30 of the 34 chapters, is composed of three farewell sermons that Moses gives to a young, new generation of Israelites. It's kind of like a baby boomer preacher preaching three sermons to a nation of millennials. That's basically what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's a baby boomer preacher preaching three sermons to a nation of millennials. Or a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, just sharing older generation with the younger generation. I mean, that's what Purpose Church is all about. We're about the most multi-generational church I've ever seen, uh, percentage-wise, div division, uh, groupings between the different generations. Our church is that way more than any other church I know. And so anytime somebody from the older generation shares principles uh, for following God in the journey with somebody from the younger generation, one-on-one, -on -one, that's the book of Deuteronomy right there. Uh, Pastor Eric started the Spiritual Grandparents Program, in which each one of our high schoolers has a, a mentor, a spiritual grandparent from the older generation that will mentor them through the high school years. That is the book of, of, of Deuteronomy. This is like a perfect book for a multi-generational church like Purpose Church. Every time you, you share biblical principles with your children or with your grandchildren, you are living out exactly what the book of Deuteronomy. So can you, can you see? This is like a perfect Purpose Church uh, book. Now, Deuteronomy literally means second law. 
Uh, Deuteros is from the Greek, meaning second, and nomos is from the Greek word uh, nomos, which is, uh, means law. So it means a second uh, reading or a rereading, a repetitious reading of the law. And what that means is, is that Moses, first of all, shared uh, the law for the nation of Israel in Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. Now he's doing a second reading, going over it again, and this time he's adding some additional commentary at the end of their 40 years of wandering. They've had their 40 years of wandering when they were given the law. Now at the end of those 40 years, he retells them uh, the, what's called the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses, and he adds some commentary to it as well. Now at this point, the nation of Israel is stuck in the wilderness, and Moses wants to motivate them to take their promised land. So we put a map up here. And this is the promised land. This is the vision. This is the territory that each of the 12 tribes is supposed to take. Now, at the point of these sermons, they're all stuck on this side, the east side of the Jordan River. There's the Jordan River. They're stuck on this side in the wilderness. They're stuck there. They're not moving. And so these sermons are to motivate them to cross the Jordan River and to take their promised land. Now, let me ask you a question that's going to make this not a theoretical exercise. I want it to be practical. I, I want it to live for each one of us, starting with myself. Uh, what is your promised land? What is your promised land? You just think about what is that thing that you, that you believe God wants you to do that you need to be encouraged to take the steps to do? What, and, and if you get a chance to write it down in your study outline, or if it's something super private, just put a code name down there, or just keep it in your mind, but what is your promised land? Now, for followers of Jesus, the ultimate promised land is heaven. But there's so much territory to conquer this side of heaven. So maybe for you, it's something at work. Is there something at work that you believe God wants you to achieve or a project he wants you to complete? And that is your promised land. Or, or how about in the area of education? Our grads tonight, uh, Pastor Eric uh, has uh, put together a, a, a program, a banquet for our seniors that are graduating. I think like 36 or 37 seniors, something like that. And he and I are going to be challenging the seniors and their parents at this banquet as, the, as, as they launch out to whatever their promised land is. Maybe it's a job. Uh, maybe it's college. And so they've passed this milestone, and now they're moving into a new milestone, a new piece of territory, their promised land. Uh, we have with us today, we've got right now as I speak, we have 70 high schoolers serving at different places all around the campus that are serving in different capacities. And we have 20 freshmen that are here with us in this service, but they will next Sunday begin to serve along with these other 70 for almost 100 uh, high schoolers that are going to be serving all over our campus. And they're with us in this service, but starting next Sunday, they're going to be with us in the services now. Uh, they're out of junior high, and now they're going to be with us in the adult services. And so we want to welcome them. So you guys, would you guys just stand up right now, wherever you are in this section. Don't be shy. You stand up and let us, let us welcome this new part of our church. My goodness. Welcome, welcome to the promised land. And you said, oh man, I thought it would be much cooler than this. I, no, this is your promised land. And you are the church. You're not the future church. You are the church. And I can't think of a better way. You guys can sit down now. You can't think of a better way uh, to initiate you into it than Deuteronomy, which is a baby boomer preacher 
um, with a millennial preacher mixed in there. Sometimes Joshua would share some of the sermon series with Moses. That's not biblical. That's not true. But I'm just trying to uh, stretch the analogy there. How about what's, what's your promised land? Maybe it's something in your spiritual walk. Maybe it's overcoming an addiction. Uh, maybe it's repairing a marriage. Maybe your promised land is raising your children or inspiring your grandchildren. Uh, maybe it's uh, fighting a particular form of injustice. Uh, maybe it's reaching a friend um, uh, for Christ. Uh, maybe your promised land is overcoming cancer or moving beyond uh, a loss. I, I don't know what it is for you, but right now, just jot it down or, or mark it in your mind. What is your promised land? Here's what Moses, in his first sermon, is going to say. It's going to have three parts. In the beginning of journeying into your promised land, decide to act. In the middle, be bold. And in the end, be a blessing and don't blow it. Be a blessing and don't blow it. So first of all, decide to act in the beginning. Chapter 1, starting in verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb. Now, Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. Uh, You have stayed, Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments was given. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Let's just hold that there for a moment, okay? You stayed long enough at this mountain. They were stuck in the wilderness next to Mount Sinai, next to Mount Horeb. And God says you've stayed long enough at this mountain. And maybe the reason God invited you here or that you're joining us online, that you're listening later on in podcast, or, or, or maybe you're in, in, in Kalispell, Montana, or Arco, Idaho. The reason God invited you here is whatever area in your life where you feel stuck right now, is there an area where you feel stuck? God invited you here to say, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. Verse 7, he goes on uh, to say, break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go! To all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah and the mountains and the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. God brought you here to encourage you, to promise you, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore would give to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. They were stuck, and God wanted them to get going. And the first step of a journey is always the hardest. The first step. I mean, for me, every morning, the first step out of bed is the hardest. It is so hard to get out of bed in the morning, I tell you. And, and the first step, that you, you have no momentum. You have momentum as the day goes on. But the first step of a journey, that's always the hardest one to get going. Uh, The largest locomotive in the New York Central System can be prevented from moving by a single one-inch block of wood placed in front of each of its eight driving wheels. Something this tiny, a little one-inch block of wood, you put it in front of each of the eight uh, wheels, and even if you throttle it up, all the power of that locomotive, it will remain stuck. And so you know what I've been asking myself this week, and I'll just ask you as well, what does this represent in your life and in my life? What is the little thing that's holding you back in your momentum to God? What's what's the little thing that I'm clinging to? I, I know God's been talking to me about some stuff in my life. Glenn, this is the little thing that if you would just release that 
you could move beyond it. You could get some momentum going in your life. This same locomotive traveling at 100 miles per hour can crash through a wall of steel-reinforced concrete five feet, feet thick. But it can't get started if this is in the way. And what is it in your life, in my life, that is causing us to get stuck? The first step is always the hardest. Uh, Helen Keller, who was uh, deaf and blind, she said, worse than being born blind is to have sight with no vision. I heard the coolest statistic this past week. I just, this is the kind of thing I just think is really awesome. It uh, just shows the global nature of the body of Christ. I mean, Christianity is growing faster now than it's ever grown in its history. It's, it's the biggest, fastest growing movement in all of world history. It's the biggest movement in the world today. By far, one out of three people on the planet, it, it says they're a follower of Jesus in some way. I mean, it's fastest growing. It's biggest. Uh, we, we just don't see it as much because we're in a part of the global neighborhood where it's not as exploding. It may be growing, but it's not exploding like it is in, in other places of the world. And did you know that just this past week, not this past week, this past year, uh, demographers, uh, people that study demographic studies, have found that just in the past year, uh, you know who's moved into the number one place as being the continent that has the most Christians in the world is now Africa. Africa now has more Christians on the continent of Africa than any other continent. It just moved beyond um, Latin America. Now, don't get me wrong. The church is exploding in Latin America. It's, it's growing like crazy. It's just not growing quite as fast as, as it is in Africa. And so there are many, you know, godly people through the years that are responsible. But one of the people that's most responsible for that is, is a guy by the name of David Livingston. Uh, he was, um, spent his life exploring the continent of Africa. Uh, he spent his life uh, fighting slavery on the continent of Africa. Spent his life sharing Christ on the continent of Africa. And here's what he said. I will go anywhere provided it is forward. I'll go anywhere provided it is forward. Philip Brooks writes, sad is the day for anyone when they become absolutely satisfied with the life that they're leading, the thoughts that they're thinking, and the deeds they are doing. Then there ceases to be a desire to do something greater for God than, than ever before. Maybe this summer, what God's causing you to do is maybe just 20 verses a day with your church family. And each week, this little study guide will be in there to go with the sermon that Eric or I preach here. Just maybe your thing that's causing you to get stuck is you're just not spending daily time in, in, in the Bible. And that can be the most powerful habit. And so maybe this summer, what God's asking you to do that's different is to develop this 66-day habit that's going to last for a lifetime. Or this summer, maybe you want to serve someplace you've never served before. Or if you've never served in any capacity, God or other people, maybe this could be the summer you jump in and do that. Um, a year ago, right about now, I really sensed that I was in a rut. Uh, as a pastor, I tend to serve God in a very narrow way. I tend to be in my rut, and this is how I serve God, and I don't get out of that box, and I don't get out of that rut. So I said, I'm going to do something to kind of shake things up a little bit. And so I volunteered to serve at kids' camp uh, for that week. And you'll see there in the program how you can volunteer as well. And I volunteered to ser serve at kids' camp for a week. And it was one of the most fulfilling weeks of my life. I just really felt on fire for God again. And, and I'm going to do it again this year. And I just wouldn't miss it in the world. 
And if you have that time free, uh, I would invite you to join me in doing that as well. Just do something different to get moving in your walk with God. So at the beginning, you got to get unstuck. You got to take that first step. Then be bold in the middle. And I'm going to have you read that passage there in Deuteronomy 1, 22 through 39, or through 46 to the end of the chapter. That's Tuesday in your Bible reading. So read that on Tuesday. Basically, the summary of the story goes like this. Forty years before this sermon by Moses, they got right on the brink of the promised land. We're about to charge in, and they send 12 spies in to check it out. And, and all of them came back and said, it is awesome land. But 10 of them came back and said, it is an awesome land, but we can't take it. The people are too strong. The armies are too strong. The walls of the city are too high. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, 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 no. It's an awesome land, and with God's help, we can overcome the barriers, and we can take our, our promised land. And so God judged them for their lack of belief, because most of Israel, all of Israel, followed the 10 rather than the two. And so they said, you know what, we're just going to be in the wilderness for 40 years until one generation is done and a new, younger generation comes and they'll be the ones, uh, your children and grandchildren will be the ones that take the promised land. Now what Moses basically says is, if you do something according to something God has ordered you to do, God has got your back. Uh, If I do stuff in my life, just what Glenn wants to do, I'm responsible for how it all turns out. But if I do in my life what God wants me to do, now God's responsible for how it turns out in the end. Uh, Romans 8, 28, uh, and we know that all things work together for good. Not, not for everybody. Everybody loves that verse. Everything works together for good. No, it doesn't. All things don't work together for good. A lot, if we follow our own ways and do our own thing, we end up in a mess at the end. It doesn't work out for good. Second half of the verse, you got to remember. And we know that all things work together for good to those who are loved by God and are called according to his purpose. If you fulfill God's purpose in your life, God's responsible for how it all works out in the end. But if you just fulfill your own purpose in your life, good luck with that. See see how that works out. So God says, if you follow my orders, if you follow the orders that I give you, God will back you up as to how things turn out in the end. I love this story, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Basically, I love any story by Abraham Lincoln. You guys know this. You know, I'm like the professor at school that always just loved Patrick Henry, who was a Virginian, by the way, Patrick Henry, uh, Virginian. And, uh, and, and the students said, we are so sick of, he always talks about Patrick Henry all the time, so sick. Let's pick a subject he can't tie into Patrick Henry. So they one day said, professor, tell us about horse colic. And he said, oh, horse colic is like gas in the stomach of a horse that rumbles and grumbles saying, give me liberty or give me death. <laughs> so, so at any rate, that's the way I am with Abraham Lincoln. So right after, best book on leadership, by the way, free tip, Lincoln on leadership. Just go online, buy it. Lincoln on leadership, principles of leadership from Abraham Lincoln, best book on leadership I've ever read other than the Bible, okay? So immediately after the Battle of Gettysburg, big victory for the Union against the Confederacy, big victory. Abraham Lincoln determined that General Meade should pursue the Southern Army. And while they were weak, they were beaten. And, 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 And while they were getting back to the South, they were fleeing back to the South. Let's attack them now. And if we crush them, the war will be over. Now there was danger in that. 
in that if they circled back and attacked the Union Army and had a victory, it would undo all the benefit and psychological benefit of winning the Battle of Gettysburg. And so high risk, high reward. So Abraham Lincoln ordered General Meade to pursue them, even though it had high risk, a high reward, but a high risk. I mean, the American press would have torn him to shreds if it had gone poorly. The enemies of Lincoln would have torn him to shreds if it had gone poorly. And this is what he wrote to his general. The order I enclose is not on record. If you succeed, you need not publish the order. If you fail, publish it. Then, if you succeed, you will have all the credit of the movement. If not, I'll take the responsibility. Is that an awesome leader or what? He says, you know what? Attack according to my orders. I'm ordering you to do it. You don't have any choice. Do it. If it's successful, tear up this order and say, I had a great idea. Look at me. He said, but if it fails, publish this. Give it to the nearest newspaper reporter. Publish it, and it'll fall on me. And God says the same thing. God says, here are my orders to you in your life. Take it. Be blessed. But if somehow it doesn't work out, that's my problem to work that thing together for good in the end. Uh, Booker T. Washington, I love this quote so much. Success should be measured not so much by the position one has reached in life as by the obstacles which one has overcome while trying to succeed. Can I say a word to some of you here who had a, a rough childhood or, or, or have had some tough stuff in your life. Well, I know in our church family, some of you have overcome some major obstacles. And I want you to know, and you say, man, you know, I haven't been as successful as I wanted to be in life. I haven't been as successful as other people that I compare myself to. Understand, God does not judge us by our success. He judges us by the obstacles which we have overcome while, while succeeding. Okay, so, you know, somebody like me, I'll admit it. I was born on third base. And I got to remind myself, Glenn, that's not because you hit a triple. Okay, you were born on third. I was in a church softball league uh, back um, when I was back in Homer, New York. And uh, the assistant pastor, a very good friend of mine, like my best friend at the time was the associate pastor. And he was a great ball player, and I was a horrible ball player. And he was the pitcher, you know, slow pitch softball. And so, so I get up there, and I, I'm, like, I'm like the worst batter in the world, in the history of the world. And so I swing as hard as I could, and I top the ball, and it went about two feet in front of my feet. So I run to first. The catcher threw it over the head of the first baseman. So I run to second, threw it over the head of the second baseman. So I run to third. And I stood on third, pointing and taunting my friend who was on the pitcher's mound. And he walks over to me and he says, where you are standing has nothing to do with you. <laughs> I mean, we were friends, but we could get annoyed with us, each other on occasion. And you know what? And I realize where I'm saying, some of you weren't born on third base. Some of you were born in the dugout. Some of you were born... Um, by the way, make sure you stay till the end of the service. I'm going to try to get done in time that it doesn't tempt you to leave early. Right after the closing song, uh, JT Martinez, Mar Martinez is going to, he's our new junior high pastor. He's going to just say, take two minutes to tell his story. This is a guy that wasn't born on third, and yet he has overcome tremendous obstacles to succeed. And his reward in heaven and your reward in heaven is great. 
You know what I think of when I think of that quote? I think of Chinese, uh, female Chinese divers. I'm sure that's exactly what you were thinking of. Glenn, that reminds me of Chinese female. That's how my mind works. It's, it's not healthy all the time. Okay, so here we go. Uh, the Chinese divers. I mean, the only thing I know when I'm like typical American, when I watch the Olympics, I don't understand anything about diving. I just, the only thing I do know, the reporters make a big deal about this that are reporting it, don't make a big splash. Belly flop, bad. When it goes in like it did in cone heads where it just goes in like that, that's good. So the Chinese divers, they will often make a bigger splash than divers from other countries. But you know what? They get a higher score. Why? Because they multiply it by a degree of difficulty. And they get rewarded by the judges because they attempted a more difficult drive, dive. You will be rewarded by your judge because God handed you a more difficult dive. And even if it's messy when you go into the water, and even if there's a splash, and even if there's a few belly flops in the way, Jesus is applauding. And he will reward you greatly someday. Uh, forgive me for using a personal example on this, but I think of my son, John. You know, like I said, I feel like I was born on third base. But John, to the right, this is family. They're missionaries from our church in Cajamarca, uh, Peru. Pastor Eric and, and Pastor Sean are going to lead a group of uh, like uh, close to 40 high schoolers to work with them at the end of June uh, for a couple of weeks. And our son, John, when we met him, he was in an orphanage in Cali, Colombia, Little guy just sitting in an orphanage waiting to die. Had a colostomy bag, had Hirschsprung's disease. He, over the course of his life, had about 30 surgeries. Just sitting there to die in an orphanage, abandoned in Cali, Colombia. We adopted him when he was about eight years old. And to see the obstacles he has overcome. And sometimes we were texting each other yesterday because he's a pastor now in Cajamarca, Peru. So it's really fun texting back and forth about as a a dad pastor. And I can tell sometimes John gets discouraged because, you know, the success of, I mean, it's hard being a missionary. And it's it's a struggle in a tough country like that. And, and And I know sometimes he compares that to the success of his home church here, you know, and his dad. And I just have to remind him all the time, oh, no, 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 John. The, the, let's go back to Booker T. Washington. God doesn't reward us for the success in our life, but to the obstacles which one has overcome while trying to succeed. Some of you here, I won't be able to see your mansion in heaven. I'll be so far away. I'll be the pool boy, I hope, in your little house there, living behind your mansion. And I hope you'll let me go in and just like scoop stuff off the top of the pool because that's like all I know how to do. So uh, maybe Jesus will give me some more information about that. Um, John Maxwell, you can read the quote by John Maxwell. You can read the quote there by C.H. Let me do Maxwell's. Got to do Maxwell's. Often the Christian community feels that the ability to see an obstacle is the mark of maturity and insight. Usually problems are the easiest things to see. The sad truth is that many of us look for problems, then use them as an excuse to stay right where we are. Ah, let's do Spurgeon as well. It's too good to pass up. There we go. Um, Before any great achievement, some measure of depression is very usual. Okay, you're going through some like spiritual depression. I'm not talking clinical depression now. I'm talking what I would call spiritual discouragement. This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing a greater blessing for my ministry. So be bold in the middle, get going in the, at the start, and then at the end, be a blessing and don't blow it at the end. 
One of my major goals at this point in my life is not to mess up. Say, Glenn, it's not very inspiring. I know, but it, but it works for me. Don't mess. Don't mess up on the home stretch. Don't stumble on, on the home stretch. Um, our, our pastoral staff knows that I have this deal with God. I have a deal with God that if I'm about to really mess up big time at this point in my life, God, just kill me and take me to heaven before I mess up. So the big joke among the pastors at our church is, at my funeral, they're just going to spend time conjecturing, what was Glenn about to do? <laughs> going to have a share time mic around, you know, just, let's all guess what horrific thing Glenn was about to do that would cause God to take him out. Okay, um, okay this is terrible, but I'm going to share it anyway. I hope it's not offensive, but it is funny. Okay, so at any rate, my friend Tom Mercer up at the High Desert Church in Victorville, he said the funniest thing. I've laughed about this for years. Uh, we were hosting a pastor's conference here, and so Tom and myself and about seven or eight pastors were all standing in a circle, and we were gossiping uh, together. And so uh, w- w- one of the pastors said, did you hear about Pastor so-and-so who was 90 years old, pastored out in Barstow or someplace out in the desert, okay, at 90 years old? And he had just gotten fired from his church over moral failure with a woman in the church. 90 years old. And we're like just stunned into silence on this. And then my friend Tom says, you know, it's kind of encouraging in a strange kind of way. (laughs) Oh, that I can still get in trouble at age 90, you know. Okay, never mind. (laughs) Here's a picture that I have in my office. It's the one time in high school where I got caught from behind. Okay, this guy on the left was my arch rival in high school. And when we encountered each other, the region was about fourth the state of Virginia, around Richmond, Virginia. And I and I beat him in cross country, and I beat him in the two mile indoors. Come to the come to the outdoor two miles that year, and I was just coasting into the finish line coasting. I had a friend yelling to me, he's coming, he's coming. I'm like, no, he's not. I own this guy. And boom, he goes by me in a flash. And it's the only time I ever got caught from behind like that. And I have that up in my office to remind me, Glenn, on the home stretch of your life, don't get caught from behind. Don't, come on, man. This is the time to run for the finish line. Those of you that are my age, this isn't the time to coast. This is the time to sprint right through the finish line. Let's not mess up in the end. Let's finish strong. Now, you can read uh, in Numbers 20 and and Deuteronomy 3, you can read um, how uh, Moses stumbled. He he robbed God of some glory. He took credit. Uh, God said, tell the rock to produce water, give glory to God, and Moses says, must we bring you water? And God's saying, what's this we stuff? I bring the water, not you. And it caused him to mess up at the end, couldn't go into the promised land. But here's the the cool point. You know what? Let's go to Deuteronomy 3. Let's just go to verse 28. Let's go to Deuteronomy 3, verse 28. I want to end on this verse. He says, no, you can't go to the promised land. You can look at it from a mountain, but you can't go there. But here's the good news for those of us who will never accomplish everything for God in our generation. We're never going to do that. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to never accomplish it all. Here's what our job is. 
to take as much territory as we can during our generation and then to equip the next generation, to resource the next generation, to encourage and inspire the next generation to when we're gone, take the territory we never got to. Anybody want to say amen to that? And so he says to Moses, you're not going to get there, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. That's what we boomers and builders are supposed to do for the millennials. We're supposed to commission them. We're supposed to encourage them. We're supposed to strengthen them because they will lead the people across. You, you freshmen that just stood up, you're going to lead the people across. We will going to take as much territory as we can, but then we're going to hand the baton off and you finish the job until Jesus returns and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. And all God's family said, amen. Hey, as the praise band comes up for closing worship, yeah, yeah, let's, let's let these guys know we love them. Here come. Good. Um, praise band coming back up. Let, let's pray as, as they come back up to her closing song. And then stick around. Don't leave if you can. You got to hear JT, even though I went long. Stay for JT. It'll be worth it. Lord, uh, first of all, let's all think of our promised land. Let's all, right now in our minds, think about what is that thing you wrote down at the beginning of the message. Oh, Lord, help us on our journey. Help us to know what the first step is. Help us be bold in the middle and stay faithful at the end. And Lord, I thank you that we walk with you. And when we walk with you, darkness, when we're with you hand in hand on the journey into our promised land, darkness trembles and your presence, your voice causes fear to go silent. Silence the fear in our lives. Cause the darkness to tremble as we take on more and more territory for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.